Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am honored and excited to have Brooke Rope back on the show. Brooke is a good friend of mine, and she, I'm always just so inspired by by her journey and her, you know, raising her two beautiful young sons now who go to an alternative school, reminds me a little bit of Waldorf, and just what she's been doing to help them through this pandemic and and maybe give some other caretakers some ideas of of how we can um, do all this. Not that any of us all do it totally right all the time, but anyway, welcome back to the program, Brooke. Thank you for having me, Marla. Yeah, it's great to great to hear your voice. So let's just um, jump in right away. How how old are your are your two boys now? My youngest is five, and my eldest is nine. Okay, and it's Leaf, and what what are their names again? Leaf is the youngest, and Detchen is my Detchen. How could I forget that Detchen? So I want to talk a little bit about just like what my introduction was about with the pandemic and, and just, you know, some, you didn't mention before I hit the record button that you really believe even as a mom to follow your strongest emotion. Um, So can you elaborate on that a little bit when you're, you know, when you're with your kids? Okay. Well, often in contemporary parenting, there is a norm within the culture where we, in some way, whether it's cognizant or not, often deflect, suppress, ignore, and at its worst, shame the emotions of children. Mm. And during this period, not only were obviously children going through great distress, but so were adults. And to me, it does not make sense as a mother and caretaker and fellow human to silence their truth and then expect good behavior and good outcomes. Yes. So in our household, when an energy is expressed, and that's how I do see all emotion, it's just a form of energy that's asking to be understood as a holy messenger, then we sit with it, whatever it may be, because quite often there is a very elaborate relationship between what might be being said on the surface and what may be felt underneath. For example, uh, anger is an emotion that many people will shy away from. There's two extremes. People tend to either dive all the way into it or they completely suppress it and ignore it. But the reality is anger is often the more animated messenger for a far deeper emotion. For example, with anger, you'll often see a lot of grief or sadness. Yes. And those 
emotions aren't being expressed. So the louder presentation of them comes through, which is really sadness saying, do you hear me now? You haven't listened. I'm here. You're going to listen. And so it's voiced through an expression of anger. So during the pandemic, there was no emotion that we wouldn't hold space for. And it wasn't, that's not unique to the pandemic, but it was a certain um, intensity that was new to seeing it expressed for both children. And you have to understand my eldest remembers the whole world prior to this. And he often acknowledges that yet my youngest was only two and a half when it began. And so for that reason, I've seen two very different presentations to how children are responding to this. And so some of the big emotions in our household, we call them the big feelings that we're going to explore. Those really were held and articulated by my eldest, the nine-year-old. And the littler one, it's been more of a curiosity and what's also interesting is you see the plasticity of the brain of a young child because so much of what was foreign to him as a two and a half, three-year-old, like putting a mask on by being required to, mm -hmm. that was very difficult in the beginning. And then by the time he hit five and they were starting to take away masks for good, he was kind of like, no, I need a mask because it yeah. had become part of the culture to him. So it's just been very interesting. And, and so the, the elder one might say, you don't need to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. I want to have my face out free. And the other one will say he wants to have it. Well, neither emotion is wrong or right. Okay. It's their preference. But those emotions that are telling the story as to why to them it matters, those are everything. Mm -hmm. Because those give us a segue into the psyche. They give us an understanding of what the child is attempting to understand archetypally. And then that is going to be the foundation for the relationships that they take out into the world. So every single expression that they're offering is an invitation for us to receive them. And in that communion, if we're able to meet them in that space, that's where we have the potential here and now to change the future. Yes. Interesting. So can you give us some examples other than, than the mask part of it, but when the children when you were kind of explaining what was going on with the universe without you know, hopefully trying not to make them too fearful of it. How did that, how did that kind of manifest emotions? <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget the conversation with my eldest because at the time he, um, I don't even know if he had turned seven yet. No, he wouldn't have been seven yet because um, it happened in March. Okay, so we are walking home from school. He was in first grade when they, and he was in a traditional learning environment at this point. Um, so he's in his first year of traditional school in public school and they canceled school for the pandemic. And no one really understands what's going on yet, 
we were just starting to figure things out. And as I'm walking home, I pause to tell him what's happening. And my eyes get a little teary because I'm not sure how he's going to respond. And I don't want to scare him, but I also want to be transparent and honest. And right before I start giving him this speech that I had somewhat articulated in my head to be boundaried yet emotive at the same time, he delicately takes my hand and he goes, I know mama. I go, you know what? And he goes, I know what's happening. And I'm like, what do you believe is happening, dear one? And he goes, it feels from what I understand from my guides to be something like the great undoing. And a lot of things are going to fall apart and it's going to get scary. And some people are going to react and it's going to be hard, but then we're going to build a new world. That's my Dutch. And I was like, okay. And then I'm crying for a whole new reason. (laughs) But he basically like, I mean, we literally went and had a snack that day. And I remember him saying, this is what we're here for. This has always been what we're here for. And myself as the adult actually finding comfort in that, because yes, I believed it, but as a caregiver and parent, it's not what I would have chosen for them. I want them to feel safe you know, and protected. But knowing that he had that trust and spirit and that he intuitively knew that he was here for something and he was part of a community and part of a shift uh, was a very beautiful thing. Now, my youngest son, again, was a toddler when this began. So those kind of conversations, and he's very opposite to Dechen. Dechen is very much uh, of a starseed type of being, very cosmic, very connected to his guides and very practiced. He he chooses to practice. Leaf, on the other hand, is like his name. He is an earth seed. Mm -hmm. And he's much more interested in the, you know, tangible lived experience than Dutchin. And at three, he didn't have the cognitive skills to really have that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Now that he's five, that has shifted greatly. And Dutchin has joked with him before because Dutchin, even though he has these beautiful spiritual beliefs, he's also a nine-year-old boy. And so oh, we boy. were we were doing something related to the pandemic at some point. And he said to Leaf, he's like, you're never going to remember life before the apocalypse. You know? <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> and he was joking, but at that point, Leaf was like, "What's an apocalypse?" <laughs> exactly. And we had to kind of go into it. And he was like, "He's like, no, this is just how the world is." And to him, that's a very earth-centered, practical approach. This is how the world is here and now. This is how I'm experiencing it. And so for him, what we've used a lot is art. We've really, you know, how does the earth feel today? How does the collective, Dechen likes to talk about the collective because he's energy sensitive like me. So he'll often say, what kind of collective energy are we walking into? And Leaf will comment the way that Leaf notices things, which will be, well, people are very smiley today, or people seem upset today, or people seem mixed today. He likes mm-hmm. to say. And so you see that he still has that energetic resonance. It's just expressed in a much more grounded, um, traditional way of being. And yet both are necessary. It's really that integration of both. And I feel that 
they really do bring just like their names one has a earth-based name and one Dutchin is, is Sanskrit from the heavens so one they have that embodiment within themselves and I do believe they chose their names for that reason because they have this way of integrating and aligning each other through their differences and to me that's really where as a collective we need to start looking because the medicine is in the center it's the return to center the return to wholeness Mm -hmm. so Brooke do you think that I assume that you have a lot of I'm going to use the word spiritual language in your home, talking about what does your heart say, talking about the collective consciousness, collective energy, those, you know, those sorts of things. Do you feel like that's been part? I guess my question is, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, you know, my kids would never say that, or I don't have a, you know, I certainly don't have a child like that. Do you think that potential is in every child? I mean, not to be exactly like a Dutchin or like a leaf, but both of them are very in tuned with their spirituality, just in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So do you think that is because of the, of the household and the parents they've been given? And then after that, what can caregivers do to help encourage children to touch in to that more of that divine inner self? It's, it's an interesting question and it's an interesting place to be because I do believe that all children, I believe children are naturally this way. Yes. Okay? The, the issue is that quite often the parents have been indoctrinated to there's a certain way that we operate in the world and there's a certain way society accepts things and there's a certain way we talk because of it. With Dechen, I knew when he was in the womb that he was an intuitive based on how it was shifting my own gifts. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until he was three and he started expressing it through his own freedom, his own autonomy, that I started showing him things and opening doors. But even now he's nine, he's somewhat of a latency phase. He has times where he very much wants to participate in ritual and he wants to do spiritual things. And he has times where he wants to be a nine-year-old and do the normative nine-year-old stuff. And that's all good. With Leaf, I don't ever, ever force anything with him as he is a force of nature quite like his, <laughs> his, his middle name's everest for a reason <laughs> leaf everest i love he, it if you try to test him he'll be like i am a mountain and the mountain says no very <laughs> leaf um yes. i said he doesn't you know he's not gonna budge he's not gonna do anything that he doesn't want to do and i celebrate that about him and so and um, he, he has, Leaf has taught me a lot about what Leaf needs. And he's also taught me about where I need to have boundaries as far as what I believe and also celebrating him as the unique individual he is. Mm. On the other side of that, I have seen children that are not with parents such as myself 
and do not necessarily have this type of language or ritual in the home. And yet they've had phenomenal parents. Many of my clients fit into this category where the parents know that there's something exquisite about the child, that the child's either holding back or potentially the child's expressing in what society would deem maladaptive ways. And that's getting them into a bit of trouble. And so they seek out someone like myself that might have a spiritual opening or the vernacular to assist said child. And then I see that child come into the full expressions of the gifts. Similarly, I know friends who this isn't really their world, but they know that their children are very open to it. So they'll do simple things like ask for suggestions for books from someone like me, or go to websites where they know, or listen to a podcast like this. It's not so much that you need someone in the home shepherding it because children are organically going to do what is their nature. What is paramount is that we do not become a hindrance to that nature. And I feel that's where parenting, modern parenting has become more of an obstacle than an actual support system because we're too consumed by outcomes. We're too consumed by how it looks to others. And we're too consumed with falling into some sort of spectrum of normalcy, but there is no normalcy in a world in flux. We are literally chasing something that is dying. And it's for the betterment of all children that we allow, as Dutchin said, this great undoing to occur, because in that undoing, just as we're going through fall right now, and the seasons are literally coming into a period of death and rebirth, that is part of the process for everything. Anything that's in this existence that's made of energy goes through death and rebirth over and over. Children need to be able to step forth as leaders, which our society has not allowed for a very, very long time. So true. Very well said. So Brooke, when you say that some people come to you, some parents or caregivers, and they ask you for guidance um, to help a child express, have an expression of their gifts, can you tell us a, a few things that you, you suggest to them? It's really highly specific to the child. I get such a spectrum of children, some whom the gifts are very, very activated. So I'm working with them more on really grounding and being able to be in the collective, like go to a traditional school and self-soothe and have energetic boundaries and really survival to thrival skills, I'd call them. So they're not just constantly in survival mode. Okay, because Mm -hmm. for most highly sensitive, empathic, intuitive children, if they don't have a support system in the home that's teaching them these vital skill sets, then they don't have anywhere to look. And so that's when the shame monster comes in. And I see this with so many intuitives. And this was part of my um, growing up as well, is we believe that something's wrong with us because we are so highly sensitive. Yes. And then we shame the gifts. And as we shame them, we become disenchanted with them. And that is a form of suppression. And so you see these very beautiful souls with so much to offer that are actually shutting it down before they've even truly stepped into what they have to offer. Okay. So a lot of times I'm teaching self-regulation just to help them 
exist in this world, but still retain the magic that they are. Mm. And then there's others who have a good support system as far as their gifts. And maybe they are able to openly, you know, meditate or talk about guides or, you know, have their beautiful stories or some, I mean, I've, I've met children who are more adept at working with the energy systems in the body than Reiki masters. (laughs) So, um, So sometimes they have all of that going on and yet they, they're, way that they present with their gifts might lend the traditional way of science to attempt to pathologize them. So often in the school system, they'll get labeled as having ADHD or, you know, an emotional issue, but it's really their highly sensitive nature. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I will work often with helping the parent with what I, in clinical terms, what we would call a differential diagnosis, but it's really not for the purpose of diagnosis. It's so that they understand that this is not organic mental illness. This is sensitivity and it's not being managed or received. And so they react, the response looks like mental illness, but they are not the same. And they may co-occur and there are cases where they do, but more often than not, it's a highly sensitive child that's being neglected in the system. And I have a feeling that if we actually could take empirical studies and look at the number of kids that are being diagnosed, the amount of children that are being medicated, you would see that over 50% of them are in the highly sensitive spectrum. Mm And that they would benefit from behavioral intervention and educational support and encouragement of said gifts versus a label that's going to stigmatize and further isolate them. I find the sad thing is that the school system, that would be great if we could do that, but it teachers, caregivers, even parents are just not aware of any of this they're not educated they they want to do the right thing but they just don't know what the right thing is unless they find someone like you right and that's where you know Dutchins knowing that this is the great undoing I I really feel that that's where there's power because we are seeing I can't speak for other communities but I can speak for my own in our community school enrollment is at the lowest it's ever been Mm -hmm. because so many parents realized when they put their kids back into the system that the child had been on zoom and they'd been out of classes for a very long period of time. And now they're having all these issues getting back on and the schools don't have the support that is not on the teachers. It is not the teacher's fault that they make such little money. It's not their fault that they're not being supported. Okay. It's a much bigger systemic issue. And I'm all for fixing systems if they can accommodate said growth, but sometimes they are broken beyond repair and it's time to birth something new. (laughs) And unfortunately, it does sometimes take everything completely crumbling or dying in order for us to say, hey, this isn't working. And I think a lot of people are realizing with the economy and the flux state it is and the school systems where they are, that it's on us to change it, that it's not going to happen from a source outside of ourselves. And we've been indoctrinated as a collective to give our power away. And perhaps this whole period in time is for us to begin to take it back. Mm-hmm. What is this alternative school that your kiddos go to? Because mine 
you know, went to the Waldorf school and it was just amazing. Um, can you just mention a couple of things that they do that, that really, that you really love and you know, it, it helps your kids? Yes. Well, one major one from the get-go is their nature base. So mm -hmm. they spend the majority of their day outside. Yeah. And so for my eldest, who very much is one of the children, I feel if he were, you know, in another setting would be labeled ADHD. And I know from the very little bit of time he spent in public school, it was very hard for him to sit in large classrooms and sit still as long as they said and all of the things. So at his, his program is a child-led learning environment. And my youngest is there as well, but he's in a different age group. And they are outside the majority of the day, no matter what the weather is, they get 90 minutes of recess play in the park every single day. On Fridays, they have field trips so that they are outside of their normative environment and can experience something new. And they're local, so they're small, but they're local fun little field trips. They have pets, they have music, they have art. My favorite thing that they have in the building is something called a calm down room. And it does yes. not matter what is happening, but you have access to that all day long and they can go in there and there's fluffy things, there's hard things, there's art materials, there's lights, there's no lights, there's bean bags, there's all sorts of stuff. Whatever you need to regulate is in there. If you need to scream and kick and throw something, you shut the door and you can do all of those things and you will not be scolded or shamed for it. And so that space allows the children to regulate. They do have a lot of children that are on the spectrum or have been diagnosed with different issues that go there to find better ways to manage yes. them for the child. And on top of all of that, they have meditation each morning. And it's just a very, the teacher ratio, I believe we have um, two teachers to every five kids. Mm -hmm. So you've got a main teacher and a TA and, you know, that is unheard of in a traditional school. And what I love too is the reason we're not at Wardoff or Montessori, and I'm a big fan of both of them, by the way, is just the cost factor. You know, we're in Southern California and they're very expensive. So what I want to say, because I already know that people respond this way, is it's not that this is some super expensive school. We have children that get, you know, funding through the district or whatever, you just have to go through a charter school system. There is tuition for the children that choose to go full time. But the reality is in comparison to a, a parochial school or anything that's branded, like some of the ones we've mentioned, the tuition is much more affordable. Yes, yes. And you're right, the charter, like the charter Waldorf was also affordable. It was not, you know, they're yeah, and I want to put that out there because it seems to be an assumption that there aren't programs like that. And we are a hybrid. We have some people that are choosing to pay tuition and some that are funded and everyone is treated the same way. No one knows any different. So the resources are there. If you look, I know for us in our community, about three places like this sprouted up post pandemic. Ours was around before, but it really took off in the wake of what occurred. Yes. So I highly encourage people to look in their communities because so many co-ops and alternative learning environments have been created in direct response to what's happened. Right. And even if your child is, you know, it, it's not, I want the listeners to know, it's not as if you 
your child has to have a diagnosis or anything like that. This yeah. is the way I believe that children need to be um, need to be educated. Um, I want to say a quote from it's from John Steinbeck about the teacher. I've come to believe that a great teacher is a great artist and that there are as few as there are any other great artists. Teaching might even be the greatest of the arts since the medium is human mind and spirit. I just loved that. And then this is this is another little quote. I'm getting ready to do a, a, um, a talk about all of this. Um, so I have a few quotes. But anyway, this is about a mom who had a very just you know she was just a very cool mom and very spiritual and she said it's not about you or what you are going to turn them into it's about when you ask your question how can I help them be who they are to be the most complete why are they here what do they need to do to fulfill their meaning it slows you down so you can listen. You think this is who you are. They are all so different. This is how I am growing. There is nothing else in the world that can teach you what it means to be human and to watch a child. It's like watching a flower unfold in incredibly slow motion. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? It's by Danielle and... Um, called The Spiritual Child. Actually, it's a wonderful book by Dr. Um, Lisa Miller. And I think all of those things that you just mentioned about your school, don't you agree? Those are the things that, those are the simple things we can do to, and bring into our homes. And I, it starts with us because life gets so crazy and just for ourselves to be present. And because we all know that our children watch every single thing that we do. And especially younger, younger ages, they imitate and they're imitating us. Um, so in the, those environments are so important. Don't you agree? Oh, most definitely. And, and I do want to normalize that even in these environments, there's still going to be children. I mean, my, my eldest, when we were walking to school the other day, he surprised me. And from a human perspective, I had an egoic reaction for a split moment because he said to me as we were walking, it was a beautiful day. We're walking up to the co-op and he says, I don't think I'm going to be a successful human. And I stop in the middle of the walk, kind of taken aback because it's very unlike him to say something like that. Uh, but then I realized, okay, I'm here for it. Let's let me really receive what you're saying. And after I had a moment to process it, I said, tell me, tell me what that means to you. And he explained, he goes, well, I love this school that I'm in and I love how you talk to me, but this isn't how the rest of the world is. Wow. And I was like, good observation. Like at nine, he already knows like, okay, so this, like I'm operating a little bit outside of this matrix and, and, and he, but he's already postulating. What does that mean? Okay. Now I could have suppressed his emotions. I could have said, no, you're in this, you can be anything. Yeah, you want exactly. But instead I met him in the ache. I met him in the pain and we talked about, you know, all of the reasons he felt that way. And I honored how touched I am that he feels safe to communicate that to me. Yes. And what does success mean to him? 
And we were able to look at that versus what he understands success to mean from the collective, which are two very different things. And I brought it back, as I, as I said, go with the strongest emotion. I brought it back to my personhood and explained to him because I can always speak best from what I know, which is my experience. I said to him, you know, I started my life attempting to be what I believed the culture wanted from me. I, you know, I, I was going for the white coat. I was becoming the doctor. I was doing all of those things. And yet it wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. And all of these things had to break down my near death experience, my health, everything had to completely crumble before I finally had the inner resolve to say, no, I'm an artist. I'm a creator. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. These are who I am. These are what bring me alive. And this is what I'm going to do. I was sobbing by the time I took his hand and said, you already know you're an artist. You already know you're a creator. You already know you're different. The only way you could possibly be unsuccessful is if you decided you were unsuccessful by not following your bliss. Yes. And then, you know, he went and he had this beautiful day and he came back and he gave me a piece of art. And I said, what is that? And he goes, it's a portrait. And I go, and what is that of? Because it was very abstract. And I said, what's it mean to you? And he goes, it's how successful I'm going to be. <laughs> Oh, Brooke, I love it. And I was just so touched because I was like, great. See, you took something that was scaring you and then you you reauthored the narrative in your head and then you reclaimed success for yourself. You didn't Uh let the world tell you what it is. You didn't let me tell you what it is. You didn't Mm -hmm. let your school tell you what it is. You chose that. Uh And so that just deeply touched me and I feel very honored. You always have the greatest stories about your children. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, unfortunately, we need to wrap it up. But um, just thank you so much for coming on the program today and finishing with that beautiful, beautiful story. Um, So much to think about and look in your heart and, and, you know, just to, to be with these kids. Um, and so if people want to find you, Brooke, how would you, how would they do that? My website is great for inquiries and session requests. And that's www.brooke with an E, B-R-O-O-K-E, Grove, G-R-O-V-E, healing.com, all one word. And for just following me, social media is best right now on Instagram. And that's at Brooke Grove writing again, all one word. And that's where I'm putting up some short pieces from my forthcoming book for now. Wonderful. And what is that book? What's in it titled? Do you have it yet? I, you know what? I am torn right now because I, I think I'm going to publish one that's just poetry and then one that's the memoir. So now that nice. I'm putting them, I do not know the title yet. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm sure it will come. Well, thank you so much. Um, hope to see you soon and have, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Marla. Likewise. Thank you. Brooke. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. 
I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.